You're listening to Wealth Tech on Deck, a podcast about the future of wealth management technology, brought to you by Life Yield. Here's your host, Jack Sherry. Hello, and welcome to Wealth Tech on Deck. Thanks for joining us. I have the privilege of speaking with industry leaders each week around issues that inform and advance financial advice, wealth and asset management, retirement, insurance and annuities, and technology. These leaders are working on strategies to help advisors, investors, participants, and firms enjoy better financial outcomes all around the confluence of digital and human advice. Our conversations center around challenges and opportunities our guests are grappling with each day, what's new and exciting, and where the industry is headed. Today, we are speaking with someone who works with firms in enabling them to create more efficient and effective wealth management platforms to provide better advice and outcomes for their clients. Nalika Donayikara is EY America's head of financial services, which includes wealth and asset management. She's the consulting leader there. Nalika, welcome to Wealth Tech on Deck. Thank you, Jack. Appreciate the invite. Nalika, let's start with you telling our audience about your role at EY. I know it just changed. Congratulations on your promotion. Tell us about what you do and the clients you serve. Thank you very much. So, yeah, I was the head of wealth and asset management until very recently, actually two weeks ago. We work with uh, some of the largest uh, wirehouses, even banks and insurance firms converging into the wealth and asset management space. Our focus is really helping our clients acquire new clients, retain their existing clients, and deliver a cost-effective service in this using the latest technologies and enhanced client experience. So it's sort of everything that touches the advisor and the clients. That's where we focus on. That's great. So how did you get into all this? Talk some more about what you do day to day or what you will be doing, a little bit of both. How did you wind up in this field? You know, um, I graduated from business school. I joined EY, but at the time, EY just had just sold their consulting practice to Capgemini. So I was really with Capgemini for the better part of my career. I ended up working on the uh, first advisor platform at Merrill Lynch as a junior business analyst. (laughs) So I, you know, I was basically writing business requirements and fell in love with the industry. And then from there, you just continue to stay in the industry, work with pretty much all the large wealth and asset management firms, uh, have seen the industry go through many interesting twists and turns. And obviously, we're at one of those pivot points today. I just think that this is one of the best, most fun industries to be in. I happen to agree with you. I think it not only has it been fun for, at least for me, for a very long time, multiple decades, I hate to say the actual number, but what I'm especially excited now is how digital and human advice are coming together. I know that's an important part of what you focus on. So what are you excited about now? What are the sorts of things that you work on? Fill us in on what has you uh, excited to get up each morning. Yeah, I mean, exciting is definitely the right word. A lot of changes happening in the industry. And I think it's a lot of opportunities for people who are bold, but also threats for the status quo, right? So it's really important, I think, to look to the future and not so much worry about defending what you already have. I would say, you know, a couple of the big changes, it's even the concept of wealth management is changing, right? So 10, 20 years ago, it was traditional asset allocation advice, then it was, you know, managing wealth, but now it's more around wellness, right? So wellness means working with lots of different products, services, third parties, bringing sort of financial peace of mind for the client. So that has an impact in how clients uh, look at financial services firms and what they expect from them. And the second is, I think, digitization. 
that's also having a lot of impact. You just mentioned the sort of the meeting point between digital and human. I would say two questions to ask. What is sort of what's the next gen client look like? What do they value? And what will they pay for, right? I think that's the ultimate question. So digitization, it's been great for clients, you know, more convenient, more access, price point has gone down, competition has gone up, switching costs have gone down. So it's benefited clients in many different ways, but there are trade-offs. I mean, there's a level of depersonalization that's coming. Clients are becoming a little bit more self-directed, but doesn't mean the value of advice goes away. It's really how the advisor's role changed from sort of the financial advisor to life coach. Our research shows that more than 50% of clients are actually willing to pay more for personalized advice. And what's interesting is that's 80% for next-gen clients, right? And so the question is, who are those advisors who are more self-directed? And who are those advisors that are more willing to engage with the advisor, build a trusted relationships? And there are interesting micro-segments within this group too. For instance, clients who tend to think of themselves as more risk-averse prefer to rely more on the face-to-face and the human advisor. Same thing with clients who consider themselves lower in our financial acumen. And by the way, there's tons and tons of very successful people that Floyd, you know, belong to those categories. So the question is, as the industry changes, as your client profile changes, who are the clients that you want to go after? What are they willing to pay for? And how do you want to build relationships with them? So that's on the client side. And then on the advisor side, it's what does the future of the advisor look like, right? So A number of financial advisors have been declining for years. It will continue to decline. In fact, some of the big buyer houses don't even disclose the number of advisors anymore. This just happened over the last few months. But the top advisors will thrive. They'll grow. They'll figure out how to scale their businesses, how they serve clients using technology. But those at the bottom will struggle or go away. In my mind, this is sort of akin to the travel agent, right? It's not an extinct break. People think travel agents don't exist anymore. In fact, there are lots of travel agents and they're very good. For instance, we went to Africa right before COVID and it's very complicated to kind of figure out your plans over there because different countries have different rules, vaccination requirements. You take small planes within countries or, you know, or in between countries it's very complicated. So our travel, by the way, we could not have done it without our travel agent. Sure, sure. You have to pay a lot, but they not only kind of handhold you. So when you're in between countries, you take these six-seater small planes and you have to bring very small, soft bags. So our travel agent actually sent us the bag saying, okay, here's what you need to pack in, right? Yep, yep, so yep. to me, that kind of value add services, I'm willing to pay for So that's Mm -hmm. kind of how I think about advice in general, whether it's financial services consultants, travel agents, or financial advisors, you really have to kind of figure out what is your value prop because the good advisors will continue to grow and thrive. So let's start at the upper end and we'll also talk about newer investors and how best to serve them. And you're in the C-suite talking with the senior level execs at, at various firms trying to map out their strategy. 
it does seem to me that, not seems to me, I see it every day, that as people have more assets and more complexity, they need the kind of concierge service that you just described. And they're willing to pay for it, frankly, as your studies and others have, have indicated that. So when you're working with the C-suite level folks, what are some of the things they're grappling with? What is it that they're trying to figure out? In a minute, I'll talk about more of the DC 401k more entry-level, call it, investor. I know there's a whole lot of activity going on there, but let's start at the upper end with the wealth management firms. One of the things that I think I have a pretty good idea, but I'd love to hear your perspective on what they're grappling with. What are they trying to figure out as we enter this new age of digitization and concierge service and a much higher degree of complexity? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Great question. So overall, I would say the industry has benefited from market momentum, which has sort of hidden the lack of organic growth, right? Really? I didn't notice that. (laughs) (laughs) From new clients, new assets, right? It's easy. (laughs) (laughs) So I think top of mind is, it's kind of what I mentioned earlier, what is that true value proposition to clients, right? So let's say you're moving from financial advisors to this planning and wellness world, right? It's uh, short-term cash needs, long-term goals, philanthropy, trust in estates, and even may have maybe health, right? All these, a lot of product solutions, third parties, they need to come together. So what firms need to figure out is, you know, what is our role in that value chain or ecosystem? Because it's a lot of choices for the advisor and the client, which makes it complex, confusing, But at the end of the day, that's the value, right? If it were easy, you would not need to pay, you know, 50 or 100 basis points to an advisor, right? So what our firms, what our clients are grappling with is, how do you create a scalable, repeatable process and a great client experience, right? Because there's so much product solution, confusion, complexity, but how do you sort of rise above the clutter, right? So that's definitely something that our clients are working on. And as part of that, it's what is your role in this new ecosystem? I think that's important. Another thing that keeps coming up is the whole idea of personalization at scale. It's a great buzzword, right? And But there are now tech platforms that have come a long way and makes it easy to embed, you know, experience even integrating these multiple third-party platforms. So digital marketing, for instance, right? But in order to use these platforms, you have to understand client behaviors, what our clients looking for. So behavioral science has also come a long way. Direct indexing, right? It's essentially a personal mutual fund, whether it's tax optimization, fractional shares, ESG, right? So there are platforms that help you streamline this experience and make it very much personalized to an individual client. The other thing we shouldn't forget about within sort of this personalization theme is moments that matter. Obviously, you know, you have to kind of prioritize where you invest in. One way to invest is are those moments that matter. What are the moments that really matter to a client where assets can either stay with the firm, leave the firm, grow the firm, An example I like to use really is death processing. You know, when a client passes on, we've seen research over and over again that 70, 80% of the time, the assets don't stay with the firm. They end up leaving, right? Because advisors, CSAs, they only do this once in a while. So they're not really equipped to do everything efficiently and, you know, the way that benefits the entire family or the entire next generation that's receiving these assets. 
So that's one area that's kind of an obvious miss, I think, in the industry. But the advisors who's able to kind of figure out these platforms, figure out how to match their clients' behavior with these platforms will be able to scale, right? If you have mm-hmm. 50 to 100 mm-hmm. clients today, you can probably double or triple that. But the advisors need to embrace technology. I think that has been a bit of a challenge in the industry. And the last thing I will say is consolidation. I mean, there will be mergers, acquisitions, partnerships driven by a few factors. One is convergence, banks, insurance firms entering the wealth business. Everybody wants to get close to the client, increase wallet share. So that's obvious. And then the scale, right? You need to be a certain size to be able to compete and be profitable. And then I think the continuing threat from big tech, right? I mean, you see partnerships now between big techs and financial services firms. Obviously, there's a lot of regulations that the financial services almost have as a moat, but all that may change in the coming years, right? So to me, I would say it's really what is the true value proposition to clients? How do you personalize that scale? And then the competitive environment and consolidation. So those are a few of the things that our clients are working on. So you just laid out a very complex maze of things to consider if you're sitting in the C-suite. And a term I've, I've embraced and used to describe this trend that we see, and you see it across the, the landscape, particularly the big firms and the names in the news that we see, Edward Jones, Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan, Morgan Stanley, Merrill, UBS, Orion, InvestNet, you know, just they're all moving toward what I describe as comprehensive advice platforms to enable the advisor to give a better quality of advice, given the complexity. And that's sort of, we're going to pick an enemy. We're going to pick complexity as our enemy. I'm assuming you spend an awful lot of time about how to coordinate all the things you've just described, not only the individual elements, whether it's called direct indexing or it's called you know models or you know whatever the, the products are. We do have a, an annuity. We do have a tendency in our industry for many years, decades really, to focus in on one thing at a time. But now it's about how you combine it all. So that experience is more efficient for the advisor and more effective for the, the client. But talk about that. I'm sure you spend a fair amount of time on this topic. Yeah, complexity is a threat, but it's also an opportunity, right? Because I think if things were easy, then everything could be automated and everything would be free. Sure, right? sure, sure. So I think you have to see the opportunity. In terms of, yes, it is not easy to integrate everything, right? You're going to have to make trade-offs. I think that's the key. Every firm has a you know certain amount of investments that they can make and they have to prioritize where it goes. I would say the one area where we see, I would say the vast majority of our clients investing is in data. So in multiple ways, right? So one is just having consistent data, right? I mean, it's interesting, but I was probably saying this 10 years ago. It was the same, (laughs) trying to figure out, okay, what's the definition of a client? What's the definition of a household, right? (laughs) There's still a little bit of that going on, but now because it's complex, and there's lots of product solutions coming from different third parties. Now the consistency is even more important, right? So consistency, integration. But once you have that, then that's where the value is, right? It's the insights. So mm-hmm. it's how do you take information and change that to insights and then to practical advice. So you brought up uh, financial planning. If I may, Nalika, and add the critical element, in my view, of implementation. So it's one thing to have insights and the advice, but you have to implement across 
all the rest of the household portfolio and all that that's involved. But I interrupt. I apologize. No, absolutely. Right. That's the complexity, right? I mean, small example might be, so people always say, well, what, what does that mean, right? A small example is, let's say you have children and you put a certain amount of money into the 529 every month, right? The information is, hey, you put X percent of your earnings into the 529, right? That's the information. But then if you could say, oh, but, you know, compared to other people like you, you put X percent less than what is typically put into this, right? So that would be insight. Then the practical advice is, well, what should I do about it, right? right hey, right. you need to, you know, move assets from here to there. You know, that that's the advice. And then the last piece, as you say, is implementation. What does that look like? How easy is it, right? Actually, one of our clients said it beautifully. It's like, yes, you know, we all want, you know, motherhood and apple pie, wellness, all that. But because there's so much complexity, instead of being a experience, it ends up being a Frankenstein experience, right? So, <laughs> it's, so you're actually, you know, it's counterproductive. You want to do all these things. Maybe you're better off just fig- figuring out what are the two or three things you want to do versus all this stuff and, you know, having a really poor client experience. So one of the things I've been observing, I'm sure you're not only observing, but actively involved with is the retirement defined contribution business was always sort of over there, its own separate thing largely dominated by Fidelity, of course. And then we saw Empower come in, buy up a lot of the other record keepers. And we also see players like Financial Engines combining with Edelman. And we see Empower combining with Personal Capital. We see Morgan Stanley not only having a obviously strong wealth management business, but now very decidedly in the 401k business. And as, as one of my colleagues points out that the whole 401 KDC is sort of the waiting room or the lobby of financial services. In other words, that's where people start. And as you look at some of the firms I mentioned and many more, they're working really doing, I think, excellent work around this topic broadly called financial wellness, where they're making making it easier to make good decisions early so you'll have more money later. So I'd like to have you talk a little bit about what you see happening in this phenomenon, which seems to be emerging, of not only the defined contribution space being doing a better job of inviting people into uh, financial wellness or uh, financial literacy or what have you? And then how does that then combine with wealth management over time? Because that clearly seems to be the direction where there's this convergence between the retirement business and the wealth management business. Yeah. I mean, I think you said it. It's sort of the waiting room, right, for your new clients. And if I look at some of the acquisitions that have been made by some of the larger wealth management firms, whether it's the 401k business or even equity option stock plan type of businesses. It's really, it's the value of the customer, right? As we talked about this earlier, right? It's the the overall market momentum has really camouflaged that there hasn't been a lot of organic growth. So the way you're going after organic growth and new clients is by acquiring, you know, tapping into retirement, tapping into stock plans, to me, when I see what's happening in the industry, it's really become the way to acquire clients. But when you think about retirement now, it's not just the 401k, right? So there's been some industry movements around building annuities into the plans and longevity, right? I mean, people are outliving their <laughs> retirement plans. So to me, retirement is also, it shouldn't be just a small piece of the equation. I think it's a huge piece of the equation What's always being challenging is everybody 
is happy to open a 401k because, you know, you join a company, the company encourages you to do that, you know, but then no one ever wants to talk about retirement. <laughs> I mean, I've talked to so many financial advisors who say, you know, my clients, they just don't want to talk about it. You know, it's like they don't want to think about, you know, going to the sunset and spending the rest of your life not doing anything. But now retirement means you might, you know, you don't just retire and go play golf and, you know, move to a sunny location. You're starting a new business, right? You're looking for board positions. So I think retirement is also becoming a, it's part of the wellness agenda. Like, how do I get financial peace of mind? And retirement is a big piece of it. But when I look at some of the industry activity that you talk about, that's driven really, I think, more by about client acquisition than anything else. I happen to agree, but it is interesting to watch. Of course, as this converges, as there is mergers and acquisitions, as there's uh, this convergence of retirement and wealth management, the complexity only grows, which I I imagine keeps you guys pretty busy at EY, because that's a lot of what you're doing is figuring out how to have a platform, an ecosystem that really serves all sides of it. And then particularly as things get more complex over time. Yeah, helping our clients scale, right? I mean, particularly in the record keeping industry, if you don't have scale, you're not going to be profitable. I mean, it's such a low margin business, right? And you see a lot of clients, financial services firms, actually wanting to get out of the record keeping business altogether. So they are making partnerships with, you know, consulting firms or tech firms and helping sort of build solutions together. So we've been part of some of those tri-party sort of agreements, but it's really about helping clients modernize their tech platforms and build scale. This has been fascinating. I could keep going. I got to remember, we're trying to keep this under half an hour, but tell me if you would, what you see, where does this go over the next three to five years? Is it more of the same? Does it accelerate or new entrants? What's your prediction as to how things unfold? Yeah. I mean, I think the, you know, fortune favors the bold kind of thing, right? It's if you are too focused on defending what you have, you're going to miss the board. Mm-hmm. So I think the key takeaways is everything sounds good on paper, right? But there will be trade-offs to be made. You can't be all things to all clients. So you have to figure out how do you balance digitization with the human touch? You have to figure out how to use tech and data to provide a differentiated experience and build trust, right? So regardless of you who you are, you have to build a trusted relationship with the client. I think that's one. Second is you have to over-index on embracing the next-generation client versus defending the ones that you already have. The next-gen clients will look very different and not just age. There are more women coming into the fold. What they want will be different from their advisor. You know How they look at the world will be different. So what's the hook for that next-generation client? And the third is data, 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 right? I mean, you have to use figure out a way to bring data, not just to cross-sell, right? I mean, it's not about cross-selling. It's not about the next best action. It's about figuring out data, turning that to insights, and then practical advice and implementing that in a fairly simple way for the client. So Nalika, this has been great. I've really enjoyed our conversation and I look forward to our next. But before we go, my favorite question in all of our podcasts, we do it each week, is uh, would you be willing to tell us something interesting or unique you do outside of work that people may not know about you or would find interesting or surprising? (laughs) I don't know if this is interesting or surprising, but I love storytelling. I'm a movie buff. I love movies. 
I love reading and I write short stories. So oh, really? <laughs> I don't know if that's interesting, but I, I do have, I love, I have a mind for fiction, you know, when I'm not working. <laughs> Are you published or is this just something you do for fun? No, I, you know, it may be after retirement. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. I found it interesting. So thank you for sharing that. And you have been a wonderful storyteller. It's, uh, I think, a great strength. Now, I really appreciate this uh, conversation. really been wonderful. I look forward to next time we have this opportunity. For our audience, if you have enjoyed our podcast, please review, rate, subscribe, and or share what we're doing here at Wealth Tech on Deck. We are available wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you again, Nalika. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you, Jack. Really appreciate you inviting me to uh, speak to your audience. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wealth Tech on Deck our ongoing conversation about improving financial outcomes for all. This podcast is brought to you by LifeYield and produced by Reverb. Subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can connect with our host, Jack Sherry, on LinkedIn and Twitter. And for more information about our perspective on the future of financial advice, visit our website at lifeyield.com.